5: Wednesday morning, the 16th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LNFM. The Gambling Regulation Bill approved by the Cabinet yesterday will reform existing gambling laws that date back to 1956. A gambling regulation authority is to be established and it will have wide-ranging powers which will focus on public safety and well-being, covering gambling online and in person with uh, the powers to regulate advertising, gambling websites and apps. Let's hear a little bit more about this. Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles is on the line and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. This has been brought forward after two years work by your party colleague and Junior Minister for Justice James Brown. Uh, There's an awful lot of powers uh, that will be given to this regulator. regulator. Are, are, Are they realistic? Will it work in practice?
6: Uh, good morning, Michael, and, and absolutely, and I think you, you've touched on this and you hit the nail on the head in your, in your intro piece when you said that the laws governing uh, gambling at the moment date back to 1956. And, you know, you, you remember that the 80s, Michael, I'm sure many of your listeners do, and I remember going, growing up in, in the 1980s and, and seeing a, a turf accountant underneath my father's office and wondering what a turf accountant was. And, of course, back then you had blacked out windows for Bucky's offices, and, and it was very much a kind of nearly a secretive, uh, enterprise for those uh, who wanted to go and and have the best. The problem now is that gambling, through uh, the advent of the internet and social media, has become all pervasive, and the laws uh, governing it just didn't exist. It, it wasn't. It was a free for all uh, for these companies uh, to the point that it became, um, you know, an even bigger. Social problem, especially for, for, for many, many young people.
5: But the argument um, that has been made over many years now is because there's been calls for regulation like this mm-hmm. for many years, but the argument has been that you can't police the internet. Uh, this bill aims to police the internet and to ban all advertising for gambling online.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I think oh. that, that, was a, that, that was a very important thing. Well, the gambling regulator working with the tech companies will obviously do that. That'll be worked out in the bill, but that's the, that's the premise for setting that down. And also in terms of the, the apps and so forth, uh, that, you know, if you, if you were to, for example, Michael, if you were to go on and, and, uh, um, and create an account with one of the, the betting companies on your phone at the moment, you will find that your Facebook timeline will become polluted then with ads pertaining to that and offering you products. So if they're not allowed to place those products in the first instance, true, because they have to be a registered company with the Facebooks and so forth to place those ads, if they're not allowed to place the ads in the first instance with the actual tech companies, well then they become effectively eradicated from your timeline. So it's not coming up. Once they get you hooked, Michael, they will just keep going after you and making sure they can actually do effectively a, uh, a database on you and actually offer you the products that they they, that they know through the algorithms mm-hmm. that you're addicted to. And so it is taking a sh- away a huge part of the armory to not only uh, get, to get you hooked, but then to keep targeting you after that. And we know the social ills from this, and there has been hugely brave people in this sphere. And I want to give a particular mention to Usheen McConville, uh, the former Armagh footballer, whose life was blighted uh, because of, of gambling addiction and has dedicated his life to speaking about this, but not in a very publicly, but mm-hmm. also just touring around the country. I know he came to my own GA club here in Nav and he's been to one thing loud, teaching young lads in particular and young girls uh, about the ill effects of this. And, and one memory stands out in my mind and I keep r- referring to this And this is going to have an impact for for media as well. Last year, he was speaking about this in a half an hour special documentary on RT Radio 1 on Sunday Sport and telling how his life was destroyed. It was a really emotional interview. Mm. At the end of the interview, RT said, well, thank you for that. And they went to a break uh, for the opening day of the flat in the Cora, which they then ran a jingle sponsored by Boyle Sports Betting. Now, the irony of that was just unbelievable. They'd spent half an hour talking about a G.A. star and his life was ruined, but they were taking the shilling as well off the betting companies. That too will be banned under these rules. So that, that you know, that absolute ironic scenario wouldn't uh, occur again. Well, there
5: won't be uh, any advertising from half five in the morning until nine o'clock in the nine, evening or yeah. on TV or, or radio. Uh, but how is it going to work on the internet? I, I know you're saying that the social media companies... Uh, will be prohibited and they'll have to work with this regulator. They'll be prohibited uh, from uh, allowing direct advertising. But people will find indirect ways of luring people in. And uh, the Internet uh, has proved to be very inventive and creative. And uh, I believe you can buy drugs or or weapons or, or use porn on the Internet without any restriction, regardless of your age.
6: Well, actually, Michael, would you believe I met with the head of Google Trust uh, who was in Leinster House yesterday, who came over from Silicon Valley, uh, Laurie Richardson, and we actually met because I've obviously been working on the online media bill, and we've been working uh, with the tech companies on all of these particular issues. They, they, As they call them, bad actors, and they know that there's, you know, people come up with inventive ways to make sure that they keep using the internet for for ill purposes, but they're working hard, and they want to work with government because they don't want um, a scenario where it is a place uh, that, is, that is, you know, perpetrating ill in society. So they're actually working constructively with government to make sure and they were very interested in the fact that uh, that gambling legislation was being uh, brought forward yesterday and making sure that they're actually helping governments rather than working against them uh, and creating loopholes. So that's positive. And as I said, in terms of mm. the ads and so forth, myself as a, as a, as a elected member, if I want to place an ad on Facebook or whatever, I have to go through a series of checks to allow that ad to appear on Facebook. Similarly so, um, if you were advertising products in this sphere uh, and you wanted to place an ad, that wouldn't be allowed because you wouldn't get past those checks. So there is actually huge amount through the, the algorithms that they have devised mm, mm. Um, uh, safeguards for actually preventing that from happening. But I think that the most important thing here is... Yeah, but is I'm not sure a, if,
5: it's, if you're not uh, giving people the opportunity to gamble there and then that you will be able to uh, uh, invite them to do it somewhere else. Uh, but what, what, what about uh, this advertising? Uh, there's to be no sponsorship of uh, sports clubs uh, and so on uh, and no advertising then uh, on television and, and radio uh, but won't uh, these gambling companies find other ways uh, of advertising? Will they not have advertising hoarding uh, in, in stadiums and so on? No, I
6: mean again, you know, I mean, I suppose this is up to them as well. They've, they've all issued statements yesterday. I've, I've, I've seen them. Uh, Flutter Ireland, who are the holding company for Paddy Power, the Irish Uh, Bookmakers Association, they've all made positive statements yesterday. They need to be good to the word and actually trying to work with the authorities rather than trying to find loopholes in every single... In
5: in theory, this is going to cost them, but uh, I I was always taught that the bookie never
4: loses.
6: Well, again, Michael, I mean, you have a situation where they have the last decade, because of social media had a complete free-for-all uh, in this sphere they've now been faced for the first time ever and I think it's taken them you know they, they never thought it was actually going to get to this situation where someone would actually take them on and actually put a regulatory system in place and I equally want to say this isn't a case of trying to stamp out people's fun it's just a case of, of admitting that the, the laws in the country haven't kept pace with the laws governing the advent of social media and tech companies and there has to be laws there to govern it because we know the. I've dealt with the young people in clubs, who have massive death run up, and their parents are bailing them out. It is frightening to sit down uh, with young people who have become mm. addicted to gambling. It is, it is, it is more insidious than alcoholism, than being addicted to cigarettes, it is life-destructing. Destruct- okay. uh, because if you remember, years ago, there was a, a campaign in Tipperary to stop a casino being built in Tipperary. We, we laugh about it now because literally everyone's carrying a casino in their pocket. These laws are going to take those casinos out of your pocket and making sure uh, that the power goes back in uh, to families and protecting their young people. Mm. These companies will do anything. They, they, they get sports stars to become brand ambassadors to well, try and make it look cool. Well, uh, they well, have some they have some money,
5: Michael. Will, will the National Lottery be taken off uh, the television?
6: Well, again, there's laws, actually. There's three different licenses being set up, Michael. There's, there's ones uh, on consumer gaming, there's ones on business, the business license, and then there's ones for Trump and, and phil- Trump, uh, philanthropy causes as well. So, I mean, they'll be worked out with the gambling regulator and the bill. I mean, the, the reality is, not only the National Lottery, Michael, but would you believe the lotteries that local clubs run as well can become just addictive? You mightn't think that, but I know that during COVID uh, and I've dealt with the, the kind of the, 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 uh, the problem, problem gambling uh, authority of Ireland and the cases that they had coming to them. They had actually, um, in mm-hmm. particular, uh, women addicted to the, uh, the lot was being run in local sports
5: clubs. So yeah, local sports clubs will be prohibited uh, from having those lotteries, mm-hmm. will they? Or, or, or at least no, it is.
6: Uh, no, again, there'll be licences governing all of this and, and worked out. My point is the addictiveness of these things, Michael. The products themselves yeah. are addictive and that's, that's the issue that needs to be dealt with.
5: But the lottery draw will continue, will it?
6: The, the lottery draw is a licensed thing. It can continue. For, for, but we're it's gambling, to- isn't it? Michael, no one's trying to to, to stamp out gambling. I, I, I think that's, that's the point here. I'm just after saying that. I mean, I enjoy a gamble as, as much as anyone the odd time. I'm the worst okay. gambler in Ireland. I bet on a horse in Cheltenham. The poor horse died coming up the hill in Cheltenham. I, I enjoy a flutter as much as mm. anyone else. No one's trying to stamp that out. What we do have is we've allowed gambling companies. Mm. Remember, we this is worth around, they make around six billion yeah. uh, in, 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 or create around six billion in this country. Okay. One, one company alone in England Bet365 their CEO was paid half a billion euro a year okay. so they have massive resources and if we are, as a government stand by and just let them have a free for all and actually exploit uh, not just young people but mm. people in general that is not on and will, that is what this bill is trying to address Will
5: winning streak be taken off the telly?
6: No nobody's trying to actually stop gambling Michael that, that, that's my point point. and what, what, what is trying to be done here is actually the regulation... Of that, we have admitted that there's an addictiveness problem across the board. But it's
5: advertising gambling, uh, as is uh, the National Lottery Draw, because when you watch the National Lottery Draw, uh, the the, the, the obvious message you take away is go away and buy a a lotto ticket. When you watch winning streak, the obvious obvious message you take away from it is go away and buy a scratch card. When you listen to uh, the bingo on LMFM, the obvious thing to do is go out and buy a bingo book. Absolutely. Incidentally, and somebody, my, somebody texting us, WhatsApping us saying, will LMFM be cancelling the radio bingo?"
6: Michael, what, 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 you've you read at the law yourself. From half five in the morning until 9pm at night, you won't have a scenario where you would be allowed to advertise those products. So if you're not allowed to advertise those products, it, uh, it naturally follows you wouldn't be allowed to broadcast those products during that period of time. They are as addictive as as going into the bookmakers and actually placing ads on horses. Well, it is promoting an industry that is, exhu- okay. which is hugely destructive on, on people. So a winning like streak
5: and the lottery draw will take place after nine o'clock in the evening. And if uh, the bingo is to continue on the radio, that'll have to be before half five in the morning or after nine in the evening.
6: Well, the Gambling Authority uh, Regulator will be able to work that out because there is a special section, Mike, and if you, you look at the bill on that, on, on, on the on the charitable and, and, and philanthropy causes as well, so that'll be worked out with the Gambling Regulator when the bill is, is worked out in detail. I think what the bill was achieving yesterday was actually making a mark for something that's causing destructive uh, impact across this country, in particular with young people. And you go into any... Uh, town, you, go into, you walk around the town, you go into... COVID was a godsend for these guys. I remember a couple of years ago, they were actually lobbying us back in 2018, mm. 2019, because there was an increase in the betting tax. And they said, you know, you've got to put us out of business here. Our shops are going to close. Mm. They were getting staff to write to us. COVID was a godsend. They didn't want the shops because they were able to put accounts online. And even when you had a situation where sport was shut down because of the pandemic, what happened? They're offering odds and soccer matches in Belarus. Mm. I mean, this, so if you're, so if you have an a, a, an addictive uh, issue, uh, an addictive problem with gambling, yeah. you know, you're looking towards and other areas. And if you can't bet on you your can, phone,
5: will you not go into a casino? Will anything be done about the amount of casinos?
6: Yes, there is going to be regulation brought in, in particular, in, in those areas as well, because the the, the regulations surrounding mm. them wasn't as as tight, Michael. And that is something that that Minister Brown spoke about. yesterday in terms of. of Of how they are going to be tackled
5: as well. Okay, there's no doubt it it ruins lives and uh, I'm sure an awful lot of people will be hoping uh, that uh, this law uh, will be one that will work in practice. Uh, I suppose what we've been discussing is some of the obstacles. Uh, There's not many obstacles, by the way, uh, in the Euro 2028 bid. Is there uh, just one Turkish rival? Uh, It looks uh, as though we'll be seeing uh, European Championships games in Crow Park uh, and uh, in Lansdowne.
6: Yeah, look, it's a, it's a very, it's a very positive, um, it's a very positive day yesterday to see that that formalisation of that bid. I'm a big sports fan. I think many sports fans will maybe be just thinking, look, at we'll believe it when we see it because we've been here before. We were here. 20-odd years ago when we were trying to make a bid with the Scots. We were here uh, maybe four years ago or so when we were making what, what at the time was a really good bid for the Rugby World Cup that should it was the best bid on the table and should have come off and that came down to politics, the Scots and the Welsh forward against us. Um, so I really hope that this particular one uh, can come off. Apart from the economic gain for the country, it will be just fab to, to see fans coming in for an international event uh, here in Ireland. Uh, as you said, Crow Park and the Aviva are uh, the stadiums being mentioned. Uh, I haven't given up hope. I've gone to Jack Chambers. I'm looking for a few pounds. We could do a Park Talton in Napan and offer them a, a, a world-class venue here in Napan <laughs> as well. I think, the, I think the, um. the, the French and the Italians would love coming to Napan.
4: <laughs> okay.
5: Might be cheaper than trying to get a hotel in Dublin. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Okay. we we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed, Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles.
6: Michael Reed on
5: LMFM. According to the latest statistics, almost one in three children aged between 10 and 17 have reported being bullied at school and in the last couple of months. Uh, That's uh, according to the 2022 State of the Nation's Children report. Those statistics go back to 2018, but they are the most recent statistics. This week is Anti-Bullying Week uh, and in conjunction with that, the ISPCC is launching its Shield Anti-Bullying Program. Let's uh, hear a little bit more about this. Uh, Victoria Hawson is the Anti-Bullying Coordinator with the ISPCC. Very good morning. To you, Victoria, and tell uh, and uh, thank you for joining us on the program uh, this morning. Tell us a little bit more about this program, if you would, please.
1: Good morning, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, so this is Anti-Bullying Week and as you said, we are relaunching our S.H.I.E.L.D. anti-bullying program. Originally, it started in 2012, um, but as Benny probably know, the face of bullying has changed over the last few years and you, to, with that change, we wanted to make sure that our anti-bullying program was updated and in line with current research. So we collaborated with DCU, Anti-Bullying Centre in Ireland, and Webwise, um, to make sure our Tools as up to date as possible um, to give um, up to date and relevant supports to teachers, coaches, um, all adults who are advocates for young people and children um, in the, I suppose the, the the continued kind of fight and efforts um, to prevent and intervene when bullying occurs.
5: Okay, and as part of that, you've uh, self evaluation tool. How does that work?
1: Yeah, so we have a self evaluation tool that is available on our website, completely free. Um, it's basically collates and distills all the latest research and evidence-based research that has been done in the last few years into 10 Shield statements. Um, and these 10 Shield statements have questions um, that really work as a self-reflection for organizations to work through and um, to see where they are at with bullying at the moment. What is their anti-bullying policy like? Um, and basically, what are their strengths and weaknesses? Because we're aware that so many organizations, from schools to youth clubs, etc., are doing wonderful things and have so many strengths um, in, in in working against combating bullying um, and it's so encouraging. We want them to be recognised in their in those efforts um, but also then, as I said, to help support them um, in what else they can do to help support young people and children when it comes to bullying.
5: All right. Uh, there's always been bullying of one sort or uh, another. Uh, obviously, uh, in modern times, uh, its form has changed because of uh, the internet and other ways uh, that people communicate. Uh, is it any more widespread now, do you think, uh, than it would have been? Uh, some time ago?
1: I think to be honest, when we look at the research, it's not necessarily that it's more widespread. I think the concern is is that um, before children, maybe you know, even going back even 15, 20 years, you would have been able to have maybe a little bit of a break. You know, the effects would have still been there, but you wouldn't have been going home um, to your online social platforms like your Facebook, your Instagram, etc., carrying on the the maybe name calling, the emotional abuse, etc., that can come with bullying. Um, and you know, th- that is really what we're seeing from young people now nowadays is that the online bullying, cyber bullying um, has really um, just mounted in the last few years. And it's something that I think a lot of adults from parents and caregivers to teachers to set coaches really struggle with. How do we combat that? What is the, um, the answer to how we support young people online? Um, because there are benefits to being online. You know, we don't want to take those away from young people either. Um, so it's about trying to find that balance and give out support for it.
5: Right. Uh, Are young people too sensitive? Uh, Are are they uh, too informed, if you like, uh, about bullying and uh, how they should report it uh, rather than being told to stand up for themselves?
1: That's a great question. I think a lot of people um, have that opinion sometimes that when we're talking about bullying, um, you know, there, there needs to be a key element of, exactly like you said, sensitivity. Are people too sensitive? Are there? But to be honest, Michael, when we look at bullying and the effects that it can have on young people and, you know, the, the long-term effects that it can bring into adulthood, such as anxiety, depression, low mood, um, a, a greater risk for drug and alcohol abuse, um, we're not talking about people being too sensitive here. When we're talking about a bullying issue, it really does have long-term ramifications and consequences for the young person's life and it's not only just an effect sometimes on the person being bullied, um, the target of bullying, it can also have an effect on the bully themselves, the person who's carrying out the act um, and the bystanders, the people around in that in that environment who are either witnessing it or hearing about it as well. So really when we're talking about it, it's not really a sensitivity issue, it is something that needs to be talked about and that if you feel you are being bullied or you see a bullying act happening that we need to talk about it, see what going on. Um, And of course there might be some instances where you where when we actually kind of break it down and we see what was happening, there might be a misunderstanding. You know, sometimes, I think a lot of times when people ask me that question, mm. they're talking about um, name-calling or something like that mm. that maybe some people see as a joke or in jest. But if that is hurting someone's feelings, again, it just needs to be talked about and called out, I think.
5: All right. Uh, and what about uh, online uh, and uh, people being bullied uh, on the internet and other uh, social media platforms? Um, It's uh, something I think an awful lot of children have been educated about. Uh, If uh, that is true, why do they not have the tools uh, to walk away and why is it that they're going home uh, at night and lying in their beds and uh, that that bullying continues?
1: That's a really good um, statement about the education nowadays. I do think more and more organizations are aware about how important it is to educate children and young people about online safety. And not only, again, about the children, young Mm -hmm. people themselves, but the adults in their lives, the parents, the caregivers, um, etc. But I think what you're kind of saying there about, well, how is it that you might have the tools and you're still being bullied. Mm. Um, It's because it's a more complex issue than just simply shutting off your social media, not, um, um, I suppose, being online. um, And there's more complex issues at play when we're talking about online bullying. Um, And I also, again, when we're talking about anything like bullying or anything in mental health like anxiety, etc., the response is never to just shut off and leave it and walk away from it. We need to be able to have young people online. That is the way of the world now. Um, You can't simply just turn off all you know social connections and leave it there so we need to look at a response we need to see well are those tools in fact working and are they being taught properly and what else can we do to really help support them in implementing those tools
5: Mm, it's odd i mean if you take that age group 10 to 17 i think if uh, ever i speak uh, to children of that age uh, they know an awful lot uh, about bullying Uh, how it happens, what the dangers are, and how to respond or not to respond to it. Uh, It it, it seems odd that they are so well informed, uh, but it it, it, uh, continues to be such a common problem. Uh, A third of children reporting that they've been bullied.
1: I think what's happening now um, in this generation, especially um, Generation C, there is a lot more awareness, which is amazing. And like I said, one of the key aspects of the S.H.I.E.L.D. and the bullying programme isn't just about... You know, giving supports and tools um, uh, of trying to um, support organisations that are lacking them. It's not. It's actually to celebrate what they're already doing and spread, you know, awareness and good ideas that other schools are using or other clubs are using um, that are really working and being able to, as I said, celebrate those successes. Um, but I think you can have an awareness about a topic. Um, as again, coming from my own background in psychology, we mm-hmm. know about depression, we know about anxiety, we know these words now, and they're used a lot more in the lexicon of the everyday which is brilliant, but again, there's one thing about knowing it and then actually being able to implement it for yourself personally It is one thing to be able to say, yes, I know bullying is wrong, um, but when you are being bullied yourself, what do you do? Who do you turn to? How do you talk about it? Um, So again, I think you've hit on a really great topic is that yes, nowadays there is a lot more awareness, which is fantastic and that's so helpful. Um, but like I said, it comes down to sometimes what can the individual do themselves and to make sure that every individual gets specific support
5: for themselves. Okay. Interesting stuff and food for thought for many of our listeners this morning. Victoria, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Victoria Hawson is uh, the Anti-Bullying Coordinator with the ISPCC. Now, a lot of people in touch with us uh, this morning about gambling, and thank you to everybody who has. Uh, (laughs) I think (laughs) I've been discovered, I've been found out, I haven't watched television on a Saturday evening for some time. Somebody's saying winning streak has been on the air since 2020 really (laughs) okay as I say I've been found out I take your word for it Uh, is there something else on instead of it Uh, it was one of the questions that I was asking uh, if you're to stop advertising uh, gambling will winning streak uh, be taken off the television and indeed the national lottery draw apparently winning streak was taken off uh, the television in 2020 thank you uh, for letting me know somebody else uh, on uh, the subject of uh, gambling says I hope the new laws and regulations will apply to the casinos, especially the ones in Navan. Uh, somebody else uh, saying, what about uh, the tea, coffee, sandwiches and brickies in the bookies? Are they gone too? Uh, and the bickies I take it that should be is that uh, you can sit there and feel very comfortable with a, a cup of tea and a sandwich or a biscuit as the case may be while you're gambling. Uh, will that be outlawed? Uh, well, I, I'm not sure if it will. There will be an end uh, to VIP hospitality and all of that. I'm not sure if uh, that uh, comes under that banner. Good question, though. Uh, Tom Navin says, gambling laws are a joke. Now, this is a different side to it. The gambling companies only want losing gamblers. They pick them and they seek them out. If you set up an online account and you lodge €500 into it, if you win with your first few bets, then they'll either block you or restrict you. And that should be looked at as well. Thanks, sir, uh, for that. Tom didn't know that. Uh, somebody else saying, can um, you uh, ask Shane Castles uh, if uh, it's not uh, somewhat hypocritical uh, to be saying uh, that he's opposed to gambling and wants these new regulations? A massive, you spoke about a massive problem in gambling, while at the same time supporting the greyhound industry by attending Shelburne Shelburne Park. Ridiculous. That came to us from Joanne in Navin. Uh, a texter, as I mentioned earlier on, saying will LMFM be cancelling radio bingo? Uh, from what we heard this morning, it might need to be after nine o'clock in the evening under these new laws if it in itself is considered to be a, a form of advertising. Uh, Stephen in Drogheda says, how about closing casinos for 12 hours and save the electricity as well? Isn't uh, There isn't any need for these casinos to be opened as well. Thanks for that Stephen uh, and uh, for your text. Uh, Another uh, text comes to us uh, from a listener in Navin who says it is great at long last. Fergus Finlay saying that all of uh, these religious orders should be closed down. Their assets handed over to the state and compensate all of those people who were abused, who are suffering all of their lives. If this does not open the eyes of people who give money to the so-called religious orders, nothing will. Some of these abusers are allowed to live in the luxury of their big houses when, in fact, they should be in jail. And our caller says the judiciary have questions to answer. Thank you as well for your text to the programme today.
1: Michael Reed, Reed on,
5: on LMFM. Now to a survey of some 1,200 LGBTQ plus secondary school students. Uh, the 2022 school climate survey was uh, carried out uh, by Columbia University in New York on behalf of the Belong To organisation. It asked uh, about how students feel, if they feel safe or if uh, there's incident of uh, discrimination, harassment, and if uh, there is school-based supports that they can uh, avail of. Menina Griffith is uh, the CEO of uh, Belong To and On The Line. And uh, a very good morning to you, Menina, and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. It seems uh, that the vast majority of young people who were surveyed don't feel safe in school.
0: Yeah, that's right, Uh, unfortunately, um, despite a huge milestone, huge progress that's been made, I suppose, in Ireland in terms of um, inclusion of LGBT people. um, uh, This year, as you said, over 1,200 students took part in the survey, uh, representing all 26 counties in the Republic. And uh, we found that over three quarters of students feel unsafe 69% of them hear homophobic remarks from other students Um, and one in three of them missed school uh, in the the month prior to completing the survey due to victimisation. So lots of work to be done really to try and make sure that schools are safe for everybody including LGBT students.
5: Okay and they've heard homophobic comments as you say but not just from students.
0: No, from, from staff too, unfortunately. Um, I mean, there was, they described a wide range of, I suppose, things that make them feel unsafe in school, ranging from kind of casual homophobic remarks, right up to name calling, um, physical violence, and even in some extreme cases, sexual assault. So, um, you know, uh, lots of work to be done. There was some positives findings as well. I mean, heartwarming 99% of students said that they know at least one school uh, staff member who is supportive and that they could go and talk to. And, and we know that that has a powerful uh, impact on a young person's well-being and, and mental health Um You know, and they also told us about inclusion in curriculum. So hearing about and learning about LGBT people and lives Mm. and experiences across SPHE, history and English. And all that helps, really helps uh, to make a young person feel that they belong, that they're welcome in school.
5: Okay, I wonder if uh, there was a a secondary school student in the country who didn't have a a rainbow banner on uh, their social media profiles uh, during uh, the same-sex marriage referendum. Uh, It's a bit odd to think that so many of them are acting in a homophobic way.
0: Yeah, well, you're right, but you have to remember that um, uh, it takes time to change attitudes, deeply seated um, attitudes, and um, not all uh, homophobic remarks um, are intended to hurt or harm, even though that's the, the ultimate outcome or the impact that they have. Because it's so normalised, um, you know, that unconscious bias and that, that, that the language that we use is so normalised, especially at the moment with that's so gay to describe anything in a pejorative way. And what happens then is a young person who may not be out hears that repeated uh, you know, X number of times a day, and internalises the message then that there's something wrong about being gay and therefore doesn't come out to friends, um, and it's the, it's the silence, it's the hiding yourself, that, that stigma and that shame is what really takes its toll on a young person's mental health and well-being.
5: Okay, uh, were you surprised uh, by uh, the findings of, of this that so many people felt unsafe, 76% of students?
0: Um, uh, disappointed, surprised? No. Uh, we do hear from on the front line from the young people we work with in Dublin, and from the youth workers across the country um, who are supporting LGBT young people. That uh, safety in school is a big problem. Um, You know, it's going to take time. There's lots of great work going on in schools. Um, But as uh, Diarmu DiPierre said from the ASTI yesterday at the launch, um, there's plenty of LGBT secondary school students, Teachers, I beg your pardon, who aren't out in the workplace. So, uh, you know, it's the system of the school as as, as well as the, some of the people inside it. It's kind of the almost the the you know the hierarchy or the the, the hang-ups from times in the past. I think that also makes it more difficult um, to, for people to be open and um, to make sure that uh, it, it feels very welcoming and inclusive for staff as well as students.
5: OK, I take a, a, from what you've said. A, a lot of it is name calling uh, and there's little in the way of uh, assaults and that sort of thing. Correct me if uh, I'm wrong. But if that is uh, the case, uh, the perception is that school is unsafe uh, for these children. Um, maybe uh, the perception isn't the reality of uh, the situation or is it? Do you believe the children are safe in school?
0: Um, I mean, look, there are still reports of um, damage to property, um, uh, physical violence, sexual assault, um, you know. So I, it's always the, the threat of that, as well as the threat of being dropped from your your, your friendship group and ignored and and, and excluded. um you know, uh, Dr. Paul Dalton, clinical psychologist, spoke at the launch yesterday and he said, if you want to really mess somebody up, you isolate them make them feel lonely. That's the thing that has a really negative impact on a person's wellbeing and mental health. And unfortunately, um, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's, you know, the, the the report from the young people is that, that's what the impact has. You know, one young person said it's so lonely. I've never had anything in common with anyone. I, and I felt alienated. school just made me realise how lonely being LGBT
5: truly is. Mm. dreadful. Uh, Maniña, thank you indeed uh, for joining us though. Maniña Griffith, uh, CEO of Belong To. Michael Reed
6: on, on
1: LMFM.
5: FM. Now, there's been an awful lot of uh, concern about uh, this missile uh, that has landed in Poland and predominantly because Poland is a NATO country, an attack on one NATO country is an attack on all NATO countries. Uh, the concern was uh, that it was a Russian missile, as you've been hearing in, in the headlines uh, this morning. The American President Joe Biden believes that that is not the case.
7: I think President Biden has said a few times that the US will defend every inch of NATO territory. If these reports
4: are true, what does that look like for the administration? Yeah, thanks, Peter. So, so you know, as I mentioned, we're looking into these reports, don't have any information to corroborate them at this time. So I don't want to speculate or get into hypotheticals. When it comes to our security commitments uh, and Article 5, we've been crystal clear that we will defend every inch of NATO territory.
5: Right, so that's uh, the Pentagon Press Secretary, Brigadier General Pat Ryder. Let's uh, speak to Glenda Camino, who's a member of the Irish Anti-War Movement Steering Committee. Good morning to you, Glenda, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, The thoughts of uh, the repercussions really are uh, very, very worrying uh, to understate it, I think.
2: Well, understated. I mean, it seems to me that uh, there's been a great emphasis on caution, which is really good, because it's quite likely they now think that this missile, was the the Ukrainians have Russian missiles. They probably fired it at an incoming Russian projectile, and either their missile or fragments of the Russian missile ended up in Poland. This is a good possibility. I mean, it's not good. All of it's Mm. bad. But the meantime, we've got 90 cruise missiles and ballistic missiles and drones all fired into, into uh, Ukraine. And Zelensky, of course, you know, is, I would think anyone would panic if that was happening to his country. And seven million people were without power and children were living in, in subways and um, underground and, and have no heat. And it gets down to minus 20 degrees centigrade. Mm. Um, this is a very serious situation. And in a way, it's like more attention has been given to this one missile that killed two farm workers deplorably in Poland than to all that's going on in ukraine yeah and when you look
5: at the photograph of uh, the crater that it left behind it's massive and it it, it really spells out how serious these weapons are uh, and a lot of people will be looking at that photograph uh, today uh, but few of us looking at the 90 craters left behind the 90 missiles that landed in ukraine yesterday
2: yes it's it's a strange kind of um, imbalance And I would think that, you know, Zelensky might well be getting a bit paranoid and and going a bit crazy with all this going on. But the problem is the Russians have denied this. They always deny everything. Even when proof comes out later, they've done it. So the problem is now, like the boy who called Wolf so many times, that when there was a real Wolf, no one believed him. Like, no one can believe the Russians when they say they weren't responsible. But what we do know is that to involve NATO... Is the last thing in the world that we could possibly tolerate because that will definitely lead to a third world war. Mm. Now, I, I think people are aware that there have been a number of attacks on Russian fuel depots um, in uh, in Russia, in southern Russia in particular, um, by suspected drones, and they suspect Ukraine. But um, this is uh, also something which could escalate the war. But I think that the important thing is that we look at how the world leaders are proposing caution, are proposing getting a full investigation before anything is done. It's very important. And then we have to deal with what do we do if in fact it was deliberate. Now, I think it wasn't. I think Mm -hmm. we're gonna find this was another one of those accidents, like the many nuclear accidents that happened that people don't hear about. And that um, it's simply intensifying things. I mean, to involve
7: NATO.
2: is to bring on the third world war it's as if you have a fire going on in one room of your home are you going to throw more matches into it is that going to help there's got to be negotiations there's got to be a stop to this war one way or another and Zelensky can't set out a program which includes retaking every aspect of of ukraine even though he may be right i don't know it's not going to get to peace and if we don't get to peace many many more are going to die and suffer and um be wounded, lose arms, legs. This is not the way the world should be going now. We should be totally focused as a, as a world mm. on the climate crisis, on the climate um, catastrophe, as it's now being called. And yet, the war in Ukraine is intensifying okay. CO two emissions. Is intensifying. Yeah. Are you suggesting the, the that, that Ukraine should? Wrong thing?
5: Are you suggesting that Ukraine should capitulate?
2: No, I'm suggesting that they should have genuine negotiations. I know that the idea of negotiating with an enemy who's done those horrible things to your people is very difficult. It's very difficult. And at the same time, you know, is it really a very good idea that, that Zelensky should be calling for NATO involvement, knowing what that could lead to? Um, well, and then we hear propaganda that uh, one of them's winning the war, that Ukraine's winning the war. I don't think we can believe that either.
5: I'm surprised to hear you say uh, that NATO aren't involved. Uh, I'm no, not, I they
2: are involved. Yeah, They've been involved long before long the actual, before, yeah. You know, March 24th. February 24th. It's been yeah. involved for a long time. They've yeah. been training Ukrainian soldiers. They've been pushing um, all of Russia's supply, buttons.
5: Supplying weapons. Uh, I mean, billions yeah. have been spent on, on this war by countries outside of Ukraine and predominantly NATO countries. Uh, I, I don't know about you, Glenda, but I, I went to bed last night under the impression that uh, Russia had attacked Poland. Uh, that seemed to be the case going to bed and a very worrying situation as you say could have led to world war three woke up today feeling uh, a a lot a lot more relieved uh, that uh, this quite possibly is a ukrainian missile or a russian missile that was shot down uh, by ukrainian air defenses uh, uh, and puts it into a a different perspective but having said all of that uh, it shows how fragile all of this situation is doesn't it
2: absolutely and the whole conflict is intensifying the fragility for the whole world because everyone is going to suffer in different ways from this. But it seems to me that I didn't actually think it was deliberate last night because you always ask yourself who benefits by this? Who benefits by getting NATO involved? Zelensky believes that that uh, Ukraine would benefit by getting NATO mm.
5: involved. But the Russians know oh, NATO. Russia. Russia knows NATO is involved. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is not a. This is not a war a, against Ukraine a, alone. I mean, the Ukrainians would not have liberated Hershod uh, if that was the case. They did so with the support of the NATO countries.
2: Absolutely, and Sweden is sending more weapons, including, um, you know, the the air systems today to. Uh, Sending it on immediately to Ukraine. So the level of uh, arming everybody up is increasing. And does it save anybody's life? Does it stop the war? I don't think so.
5: Mm. Uh, well, it's led uh, to um, this uh, unbelievable uh, attack on Ukraine yesterday undoubtedly because of the humiliation uh, that the Russians felt and uh, uh, they were ostracised from uh, that G20 summit and Putin not uh, attending uh, and so on uh, felt that he had to act in some way to save face if that's a way of putting it uh, but I think it's probably a lot more serious than saving face Uh, this is uh, the destruction of so uh, many important pieces of infrastructure it's going to be a very very hard winter for people in ukraine much harder than it would have been two days ago
2: yes and all of the millions of people in ukraine who are potentially under attack people can't live that way they can't live with no heat and no water even it spread to moldova in the sense that moldova's had electric blackouts because of the bombs in in ukraine and you're doing this in an area where there's nuclear power plants i mean this is the most insane thing that you know we could end up with, with a huge amount of destruction even if the war itself didn't spread from the bombing of Zaporizhia. this whole thing has got to be stopped it's not going to be agreeable to russia or ukraine however it ends up but all wars eventually end up in negotiations and how much suffering are we going to let the ukrainians go through in a proxy war between the u.s and russia the western russia This really is the most dangerous thing, playing with fire, since the Cuban Missile Crisis, which I was alive to experience.
5: Do you believe that Russia has a legitimate claim to what Ukraine would say is Ukrainian territory?
2: I believe that in 2014 there were definitely um, parts of Ukraine that wanted to be part of Russia, there was an election, obviously, which was overturned with the help of Western influence. And um, we just don't know what the best option is. But the best option is not arming people to the teeth. The best option is aiming for disarmament, providing as much you know, humanitarian aid as we can. Mm. I think it's very important that, that Ireland not go the path of becoming one, on one side or the other.
5: No, but the. We support
2: the, Ukrainian the, people, but we don't support.
5: bomb. The the, the purpose of the question was to ask you if you believe uh, that they should cede to the Russian bully.
2: I understand that it's being put in terms of a Russian bully and yes but this is not a playground fight where you have a bully and you stand up to the bully and everything's fine. This is nuclear missiles. Mm. This is the possibility of everybody being engulfed, like the whole playground going up in flames, shall we say. So it's, it's got to be dealt with in another way. Surely we have learned by now that wars don't really solve problems. Negotiations, politics can solve problems, but wars do not. Wars just create new problems to be solved. Mm. And a huge amount of damage not just the physical damage to infrastructure but the damage to human lives people who've lost family Um, it's a a terrible terrible thing that wars are still going on in this world when the only war we should be involved in now is the war against the destruction of the environment of the earth that makes it possible for us to live and breathe
5: Mm, I know Um, the Russian tactic uh, it seems is to attack civilians
2: oh yes Yes, they have absolutely. They are barbarians in their in what they're doing. Like, there's, I agree with um with Trudeau and and um Biden on that. That that they're it's a barbaric response. It's it's a medieval war with um terribly dangerous modern weapons. And this has been the case with all the wars, like Yemen, you know, what's going on in Somalia, much much of Africa. Um, women and children are most always the predominant victims of these wars. They are not the war makers. They're not usually the people who are standing there, you know, demanding um, that the bully be stopped by any means. They want to be able to grow their crops. They want to be able to send their children to school. They don't want their schools bombed. They don't want... um, Most people are sensible and don't want war. Most people are holding their breath when there's talk about a NATO response to the bully. Because that may be what is justified in emotional and psychological terms but is it the thing that will stop what's happening here okay. and how many how many you know people people can't live in ukraine with what russia is doing to them but i think that calling it the g19 by zelensky was you know more provocation to do you actually like keep uh, pushing at a bear <laughs> You know, when it can get you with its claws, like what is the best way to handle these things? There must be a way that we could have institutions that have some power. The UN seems powerless. You know, the organizations, which are meant to be discussing many other things, are now totally um, absorbed in this conflict. And there's so many conflicts in the world now, so many wars none of them are helping mm. people or make good for people in any way.
5: Okay um, I, I think the other side is uh, do you surrender uh, to a, a country that attacks civilians uh, because they're attacking civilians uh, and I, I think that's the uh, uh, reason why uh, the Russian bully state uh, is uh, the turn of phrase that's being used Glenda I have to leave it there oh, for the moment You have uh, to realise yeah, that the US
2: mm. has been involved in similar wars with similar deaths near deaths of children for a long time. Mm -hmm. So there's not like a good side and a bad side. It's not like, you know, the angels attacking the demons. We've all got responsibility for making the world a safe place for children.
5: Okay. All right. But I think it's the Russians who are attacking the civilians at the moment. Yes, okay. of course. All right, Glenda, I have it's to leave
2: it. We realise that. But the question is, like, are we going to keep pushing the buttons until we get a nuclear war? Are we going it. to have yeah. to realise we have to do it a different way?
5: Okay, well, that's a question I wish we weren't asking. Thank you indeed, Glenda, for joining us this morning. Glenda Kamina, who is a member of the Irish Anti-War Movement Steering Committee.
6: Michael
5: Reed on LMFM. Now, the Joint Committee on uh, Tourism has published a report on working conditions and a shortage of skills in Ireland's tourism and hospitality sector. Local Sinn Féin TD Imelda Munster is a member of uh, that committee and on the line and a very good morning to you Imelda Munster and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, I want to talk about your committee's report uh, and indeed uh, the recommendations. Before we do that though uh, can I ask you About a report in the Irish Independent today uh, about uh, people who have made allegations against Michael Shine, uh, a former consultant doctor at Our Lady of Lords Hospital in Drogheda. Some 120, or bigger, your pardon, 112 people who made allegations of sexual abuse between 1964 and 1995, who have settled claims against the medical missionaries of Mary. Uh, these uh, people were told that they're, they're Complaints would not be prosecuted. The DPP decided not to prosecute uh, because of a number of reasons. The delay in taking these cases, Michael Shine's age now and his health. Uh, but the settlements with uh, the medical missionaries are, are confidential, or as the Irish Independent puts it, a, a gagging clause has been put on uh, these 112 people. And they and their support group, Dignity for Patients, it seems, are looking for a full public inquiry into what happened and uh, the complaints over many years against Michael Shine. Uh, what do you make of that? Is that something that you would support?
8: Well the cases that that the that, that people had made allegations they've effectively been denied a hearing and justice and I think there needs to be a full examination of all that happened, establish the facts through some sort of inquiry but that inquiry needs to have I would think a clear time frame And what worked well with the cervical check uh, was a non-statutory inquiry, Mike, because it established facts very quickly. Um, Sometimes public inquiries are long-drawn-out inquiries that could face legal challenges that go on for years. And I would suspect that the last thing people want, uh, people that have been denied um, a hearing or justice, uh, would want it to go on for years and years given how long they've had to wait so far. So there's a number of options there, but it's important for the Minister to li- listen to the victims and see what exactly they want and whatever inquiry is decided upon. It needs to be one with the, the, the victims, our centre, and a full examination to establish the facts and th- with a time frame for it.
5: I suppose uh, you could say uh, that the cervical check inquiry took place uh, because Vicky Phelan wouldn't sign a confidential uh, yeah, confidentiality yeah, yeah, clause yeah. Uh, with the state claims agency uh, or a gagging order and that's why we learned about all of uh, the problems. Are, are you surprised that uh, the medical missionaries of Mary in- insisted on this gagging order for the victims of Michael Shine?
8: To be perfectly honest, I would say I'm disgusted with them. Um, you know this this type of confidentiality clause or non disclosure or gagging is probably the best way to describe it. Um, I mean, to to put that pressure on people who have only ever looked for justice because of what happened to them, you know, speaks volumes. Um, for The medical mission, medical missionaries of Mary, you know, and I, I think that they've a sin to answer for that is my personal opinion on that Mike
5: Okay I think we may be hearing more about this in uh, the coming days uh, but uh, thanks uh, for taking that question. Let's uh, uh, talk uh, about uh, your committee's report uh, on a skill shortage uh, and indeed working conditions in tourism and hospitality. Um, This skill shortage is relatively new Uh, there's been complaints about working conditions for a long period of time
8: Yes I had first got sight of um, it was a report done by Unite the Union, Um, Hidden Truths was the name of the report, the title of it. And when I read that report and the detail in it, I had asked that the committee um, invite the union in and other researchers in the area of tourism and hospitality, and that's how the whole thing started, if you like. And we had some excellent research, firstly the, the Hidden Truths report, but also Dr. Deirdre Curran from NUIG, and also research from Falsh Ireland in relation to the treatment of workers in the hospitality and tourism sector. Um, And the report has made 11 recommendations. We have a situation where the Minister for Tourism, um, the report has looked for her to have a role in ensuring the delivery of workers' rights in the sector, because... And I said yesterday at the launch, it's madness that she's responsible for the sector, including business lobby groups, but has absolutely no responsibility to workers. But the report, again, and I've said this about every report, it isn't worth the paper it's written on without the backing from government. And we need to hear Minister Martin's thoughts on the report and the potential for the implementation plan to make sure that this time change actually happens. You know, but it also requires the two... uh, Minister Martin and the Leo Varadkar, to Leo Vradker to establish the JLC system. This is the independent body that the Minister appoints an independent chairperson but you have the the different representatives from the sector but you also have the unions there to represent the workers and that collapsed 10 years ago and nothing has done since and that's why we are where we are now. But some of the the stats in the report, particularly the report from Unite the Union and Dr. Deirdre Curran were harrowing, you know, and we've heard firsthand of workers how some of the workers obviously it's it's not, you know every employer in hospitality and tourism would be ridiculous and wouldn't be factual to say that but there's a sizable amount of uh, workers' rights being denied in this sector in particular Mm -hmm. workers not being paid, the minimum workers asked to work Long hours workers um, had cited a lack of breaks and um, places being deliberately understaffed, um, not being paid the full full amount, no Sunday pay, Mm. and being treated very, very, very shabbily. And during the summer, I had heard calls from the industry about recruitment, and my first thought in my head was, well, if you pay your staff properly, and they've good working conditions, you wouldn't maybe have the problem, the other mm. problem of recruitment.
5: And you, you, you believe you, 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 you've recommended uh, the solutions to these problems in your report if the Minister... Uh, accepts your report uh, and uh, implements uh, the recommendations uh, but your committee is, is a cross-party committee. I don't think there's yes. a, a member of the Green Party on your committee but there's no. uh, quite a, a number of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael right, uh, yeah. members who are on yeah. the committee uh, and uh, it is, if you like, uh, a voice of all parties and none. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, I'm not sure that it's a, a report that would be ignored by the Minister uh, but obviously she'll look at it as uh, she will with any report from any well, Eructus committee. The problem
8: is before I've raised this issue with the Minister, workers' rights in the sector. I've put in questions when I have questions for the Minister and it's always been um, the question was denied and she reverts to um, the tarnished Department mm-hmm. <coughs> so she hasn't ever taken responsibility for the sector and that's why it's important with this report that the Minister actually... Has some role in ensuring workers' rights. Okay. Yes, I mean, she meets the business lobby group, she yeah. meets the hotel federation, she meets, you know, the restaurants association. But between the two of them, but if you're, say saying, if, of you, the if you're saying if you're
5: saying that the minister will dismiss your report out of hand, what was the point in doing it? No, I didn't it?
8: say. Uh, well, I that's the impression the I get. It. The the forgive me. then. No, For, the questions mm. that I would have posed on workers' rights within the mm. sector, to the minister before, before, she would have deflected them over to the tarnister because of his brief Mm. but the report now is asking her to take a role in relation to workers rights well that's a question for all of
5: government isn't it
8: yes Mm, and that's mm. why we're 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 going to you know furnish Mm. the report it was launched yesterday Mm. and we'll be following up with the minister to get our thoughts on the report
5: Okay, and, and also
8: It's not just that the
5: Minister would have a, a role in oversight. Uh, you're talking about an independent body being established uh, to take a, a look at some of the problems that those working in the sector have.
8: Well, that inter, interdepartmental body, independent body, forum or the JLCs, whichever form it takes, it has to be having the trade unions, the unions at the table because the problem is predominantly, and this is where the report came from, it's workers, the condition of workers in the sector, working conditions in the tourism and the hospitality sector. That's the angle that I first brought it to the committee from. That was the angle, and this is what we've we've hoped to address in the report. But again, it's not worth the paper it's written on if government don't take the recommendations on board and, and more importantly, don't act on them.
5: Okay. All right, uh, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Sinn Féin TD for Louth and me, Steve, the Meldon Munster, who's a, a member of uh, the Joint Rectors Committee on Tourism. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Thanks to Paddy Duffy who's texting us today saying Ukrainians are a proud people who would rather stand up and fight than spend their lives on their knees under a brutal ruler just like our people did in 1916 in the War of Independence. He says he's said before you don't negotiate with a rabid dog, you put it down. Thanks uh, Paddy. A number of people in touch with us about Betting Pat in Balbriggan says, I have a betting account on my debit card. I've had this for the last six years. As with lots of my friends, it saves us going into the bookies. No problem. If they're saying that people can't bet now due to addiction, uh, well, that's one thing. But are they also going to ban cigarettes? Uh, they're very addictive too. And they cost more lives with lung cancer than people betting. Uh, Pat goes on to say, it's ridiculous. It's another banana republic move, like fining people for putting chewing gum on the footpaths. Thanks uh, for that, Pat. Uh, Interesting comment. Not sure that I understood all of it, uh, Pat. Uh, I I think they're not trying to stop people from betting, but I, I think what they are trying to do is to stop Some of these bookmakers intentionally targeting people who they believe are addicted to betting and making them all sorts of offers so that they're lured in and, before you know it, They're chasing a loss and losing their shirt while they're at it. Uh, James, uh, in touch with us, saying good that you brought up the point of terrorizing people uh, in Ukraine at the moment, uh, but it also helps uh, to have a regime change. This is what the world wants with Russia. Uh, And he says it it was good to hear somebody talking sense about this situation. It's got to a stage where we can't trust anybody, but Ukraine would do anything to involve everybody in the conflict that they have with Russia at the moment. Thank you, James. uh, Indeed, Uh, thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us. Uh, this morning on uh, text uh, and WhatsApp, uh, and indeed on the phone. You can phone us on 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, or email michael at lmfm.ie and we're going to hear a, a terrible story of how a woman lost all of her teeth. We're joined by Dr Caroline Robbins who's President of the Irish Dental Association and a very good morning to you uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. This is one of your patients I read about uh, in the Irish Independent who went to Turkey to get 28 crowns fitted. Yes, uh, good
3: morning and listen, thank you very much for having me Um has yes, been a bit in the news there recently about obviously uh, dental tourism and you know medical tourism as well. It's it's, it's not solely the, um, the the field of dentistry, but yes, unfortunately we do see and I have seen firsthand um, what can sometimes happen when things go wrong. And I did have an unfortunate lady who ultimately regretfully ended up losing all, all her teeth because of you know the treatment that was undertaken. Um, just wasn't, it wasn't a good standard, um, it left her in pain, it left her with an inability to clean her teeth properly because all the, the crowns were fused together, and regretfully unfortunately the foundations went good before she went over. Um, it was a patient I hadn't seen for a while, I used to treat her many years ago, and between where i had worked and where I work now I hadn't seen her for a period of time, and in that period of time she'd gone away, and when she came back to me she was in pain with this issue, and you know, it was um, unfortunately a, a horrible mess for her and regretfully, um, it just slowly one by one when bridges and crowns mm. started falling out, the only options we had were to extract teeth. So slowly but surely, they all came away.
5: What, what was the first mistake Was the first mistake uh, to try and fit 28 crowns at the one time?
3: 100%. I mean, I, I've done dentistry. I'm doing dentistry for 27 years and I honestly would struggle to think of one patient i look after that needs 27 crowns um it's over treatment um you know i would have a patient come in and and i do crowns um because when i'm recommending a crown it's normally a tooth that's been very heavily filled and you know to try and increase the lifespan of it a crown is the the strongest thing that we have available to, to do that um but i'm not sitting there trying to say to you that you need every single tooth in your head crowned because Crowning and dentistry and anything that I do on your tooth involves maintenance, and and things can go wrong, mm. and um, and when they do, you know it becomes a much more complex procedure to correct it. So yeah. when it's one, it's one, but when it's twenty seven, it's a whole different ball game.
5: Okay, uh, and uh, the cost undoubtedly mm. uh, lures people uh, to Turkey and elsewhere. Uh, it, it may seem cheap, uh, but uh, if uh, you have to come back and have that work undone. Uh, and additional work done may work out uh, even more expensive in uh, the long run. Uh, I think we've all heard stories about Turkey, not just uh, with dental work, but with bariatric surgery a- as well. Uh, what do we know about uh, the oversight uh, and uh, the standards in Turkey for medical procedures and dental procedures?
3: I guess what we're seeing is, um, look, you know, the people go over and if we're all individuals, and we're all grown ups. We can make our own decisions about what we want to do. But what we do see in the dental is that we're just seeing so much over-treatment that it—the cost sounds lovely, but they, people don't realise what they're what they've been told they're getting and what they get. So, if, for example, well, if I'm doing crowns and I'm doing four crowns in a row, if I was, they're for all individual crowns, so that patient can clean between them, can floss and keep them and be and cut them correctly, so they're nice and hygienic. What happens here? These things are cut down very quickly, you know, in a very short appointment time, and then these these units are fused together and they're sort of glued on in a big bulk unit. So you can no longer floss. They're normally bulky because they've had to overbuild them to make them sort of give them some strength. So then you've got, it's completely impossible for the patient to clean nicely around them. So you just, it's like throwing kerosene on a fire, you've just created another problem.
5: Mm. Uh, I suppose uh, it's easy to understand uh, why people want a, a good set of teeth. Uh, You've concerns about Hollywood smiles uh, and how young girls in particular are looking for Hollywood smiles.
3: I have so many young girls coming in asking me for, um, you know, the bright white teeth that are all the same length. Um, and, you know, you, you just have to watch, you have to look on social media, you watch. Programs, I always say, like Made in Chelsea, Towie, the Kardashians—it's—it's it's there everywhere you turn. And so this is what girls and boy and men, boys and girls, are perceiving as beautiful and the and the normal and what they should have. Um, it's not, and again, they don't understand what they're asking me to do with regards to to get that bright, bright white smile. Isn't achievable with just bleaching. It involves me having to put, you know, veneers or crowns on teeth, and that's asking me to cut, cut teeth. And I've got young kids that are sitting in my chair who have had braces, who have a beautiful, shiny, healthy smile. And I'm, I just, I'm saying to them, I, I'm not, I can't do this for you. I can't, ethically, in good faith, sit here and cut your teeth because you're tw- you're 21, they'll look good. But at 40, are you still going to be happy with them? They'll probably, hopefully, still sitting there, but are you going to be happy? And there's a whole lot more than whether it's just about the white smile. There's a whole lot of body image, you know, body dysmorphia. What you find is you think, you know, you'll you correct the teeth, but then there'll be something else. Mm. It's the lips, it's the nose, it's I don't like my ears. Mm. A, you know, that that unfortunately is something that we're seeing a lot more as well.
5: Okay, but if you won't do it and somebody else will
3: Well yes, unfortunately that is the thing
5: Yeah, uh, I take it your advice then falls on deaf ears or at least at times does
3: Well sometimes, but yep. I do yeah. have some I can convince one and I, you know, some of them I do and they do take it on board and I had one and we agreed not to do veneers I did some little bonding for her I just tweaked the shapes of her teeth by adding a little bit of composite to corners to make them look like she wanted but I didn't cut anything I could glue it on and I mean we joked about I said I'm going to be your mother now and she says no my mother loves you she's so pleased you're saying this to me because she thinks I'm crazy doing this as well Mm. so there are you know we can do things they don't have to be invasive and irreversible they can be you know we can do little
5: tweaks but yeah. i'm always very resonant about um, okay um, so. if you would do it uh, this tweak uh, that you speak uh, about uh, if people uh, come to you and uh, you'll carry out that procedure uh, it's quite probable they'll feel that either they can't afford it or they'll get it uh, done for them cheaper a whole lot cheaper and particularly in places like turkey
3: you probably find they don't do that in turkey turkey's all about it's all about the veneers and the crowns the bondings aren't overly expensive and they're just little things you can do in the chair and they take maybe about an hour um and so you know it's a nice little thing that they can get done that Mm. gives them a nice gives them a a better feeling about how they are and maybe just buy some time until they may feel that actually what they did want wasn't what they wanted at all
5: okay so what does that mean Uh, is it that uh, Hollywood smiles are just too good to be true, uh, that you're not going to get a Hollywood smile, or at least, if you do, it's not one that's going to last, and that you will inevitably incur other problems.
3: Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, once you cut, tooth, is, tooth can't repair. So, I mean, I, if I had a bad haircut, I couldn't grow it out. If I break my bone, it will heal. But once I cut a tooth, or a tooth is broken, there is that is broken for life. So, When you ask for a veneer or you ask for a crown, you have to understand that involves cutting your tooth down. So once we cut your tooth down and then glue something on, that's not going to last forever. It's an impossibility to expect that to be there forever in a day. It's going to need maintenance. Things can break, things you may want to replace it in years to come. You know, As we get older, our gums recede, so margins that once upon a time were under the gum will now be visible. There's little bits and pieces that are going to happen as we go along, mm. and they will need maintenance. So it's impossible. You, you're, you're putting something in that is now, you've cut a tooth, and then think about if I've got to cut it off at a later date, I'm probably going to end up cutting the tooth more to cut these things off. Yeah. It's, I always say once you start the industry, it's like a chapter book. You can
5: almost you could write chapter by chapter what's going to happen ultimately to that tooth in the end. Okay, well you closed the book uh, on that young woman. um, uh, I don't know. I mean, it it, it must have been horrific for you. Um, How how did she? How did she respond when you told her that the only solution was to remove all of her teeth?
3: She look. It was. I sometimes think I'm my, like, you know, I, a lot of my job is counselling as well. It's about the people. I, I would say the dentistry is one tenth, and 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 looking after my patients is nine tenths because there's such an emotional investment in in your mouth and how your smile looks. And you know, she was very, very disappointed. Um, you know, extremely disappointed. It's hard to put into words how she was. Um, you know, you can imagine it's a very upsetting time. Um. But look, it's sorted now. She's It's, it's sorted and she's, you know, it's, it's been taken care of. Yeah. She has a smile again. But I suppose you would argue if we hadn't gone and put all those crowns on, all those teeth, would we still have the majority of them in her mouth? We might not have all of them, but we probably would have the majority
5: still. Okay. Well, perhaps uh, there's a lesson or some advice or some food for thought uh, for other young women or people generally listening to us uh, this morning from that story. Uh, and thanks uh, for sharing it with us. And thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today as well. That's Dr Caroline Robbins, who's uh, the President of the Irish Dental Association. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, I'm sure a lot of people in Dundalk and Black Rock would have heard uh, the ad there in uh, the break asking them to give uh, blood uh, by donating it in uh, the Crown Plaza. Undoubtedly, there's some people listening to us who will be excluded Uh, and will not be allowed to to give uh, blood because of uh, the risk of transfusion-transmitted infections. The way the Irish Blood Transfusion Service assesses that risk is about to change at the end of this month. A new system will be put in place and we'll hear a little bit more about that now. Dr. Tor Herwig is uh, the Medical and Scientific Director with uh, the Irish Blood Transfusion Service. And a very good morning to you, Dr. Herwig, uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, you'll be asking people uh, about uh, their sexual behaviour uh, so that uh, there won't be a, a chance of passing on uh, diseases like HIV and so on.
9: Yes, good morning, that, that's correct. We, we changed the donor deferral criteria so all donors will be asked the same questions and we know that this is a safe way to ensure the blood supply, the, the patient's safety is maintained and, and the donation process will be more inclusive.
5: Okay, and as a result of the way that you're asking questions, do you believe that more people will be eligible to give blood?
9: Yes, we, we, we think that more people will be eligible to donate now because we ask all the donors the same question so that groups that have earlier been unable to donate will now become able
5: uh, in other words uh, you'll be asking questions of heterosexual people that uh, you would have asked of people who were in same sex relationships previously uh, about issues like anal sex
9: that, that's completely correct because there has been a huge work uh, before this uh, change is sort of being implemented and, and anal sex with, with more than one partner or a new partner is defined as a risk factor, or, is, or I should rather say is identified as a risk factor, So, and that's a risk factor for all donors. So All, all donors will be asked the same questions.
5: So, uh, in other words, uh, if uh, somebody uh, uh, is uh, having sex with somebody of uh, the same gender, uh, but they're in a, a long-term relationship, there's quite probably less risk uh, to their blood being infected than a heterosexual person, let's say, uh, who's involved in chem sex or anal sex or, or something like that with new partners.
9: That's definitely true, so, so the, the questions are tailor-made to, uh, to detect risks, and for, for instance, chem sex is definitely a risk so that people engaging in chem sex cannot donate blood.
5: Okay, uh, and uh, uh, there will still be restrictions on people. Uh, it, it's not uh, that uh, suddenly uh, people who uh, have uh, been in, in a long-term relationship will uh, automatically be able to donate blood.
9: No, the the, the no um the, the usual blood donation criteria they uh, apply. Uh, as earlier so so this is just a a new way of posing the the question because as uh, as you already said this is going to an individual donor risk assessment so that all donors are are, are assessed on the same basis.
5: Okay, I I take it this is something that uh, you'll be watching over a a period of time. Uh, It's rare, if not unheard of, uh, that um, uh, blood that has been donated uh, is infected uh, with uh, one of uh, these sexual diseases.
9: Absolutely, so we have a monitoring committee uh, overlooking the new... Way of, of, of performing donor eligibility criteria, so that if something goes wrong, we will identify it immediately. But ba- based on uh, on the information we have gathered, uh, there is a very very low risk of uh, of that th- this new approach mm. would would harm the patient. And you we con- definitely believe that patient safety is well maintained.
5: Are you concerned that donors or potential donors may be put off? Uh, giving blood because of the questions that they'll be asked before their blood is taken.
9: Unfortunately, that that may happen. Hopefully, it will not. But we have made a a survey of ten thousand donors, and we, we've got to say back from two thousand five hundred, and around three percent of the donors we have feel that, that the questions are making them uncomfortable. Maybe also in a way that they will not donate. So I, I really hope that the donors understand that these questions are not uh, posed because we are or asked because we are interested in, in the mm. private lives of the donors, but in the interest of, of patient safety. So right. I really hope that the donors will will accept the new new questions, and mm. I, I believe strongly that they will, because the Irish donors are really eager to. to ensure the blood supply of Irish patients.
5: Very good. We leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Dr. Tor Hervig is uh, the Medical and Scientific Director with uh, the Irish Blood Transfusion Service. That's our program for today. God willing we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.
4: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM to contact us email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts with CNC carpets. We bring the showroom to you or book a new showroom appointment on 87 660